they will tell a long, complex story about the question with a lot of background information and backing and filling and so on. You don't have to have an elevator pitch, but you should be able to explain it to someone on the subway if you're only going one stop. You're listening to the AngleCreeIT.com podcast. IT career and culture advice without an angle. And now your host, the guy who is driven crazy on a daily basis from outsourced recruiters, Preston Kilburn. Hey there, Navigators. Today, I am interviewing Strata Chalup, who is the co-author of the books Practice of System and Network Administration and Practice of Cloud System Administration, Designing and Operating Large Distributed Systems, and just a bona fide IT badass. And I just have to say, for me, this is an amazing interview because without even knowing it, she has been an inspiration to me and taught somebody tools who then taught them to me that has really helped me in my career. So without further ado, thanks for joining us today, Strata. Hey, thanks so much for inviting me. I love a chance to chat with people about uh, the IT field in general. I do just want to say that uh, all of these opinions are my own and don't reflect on my employer. So if anyone has a problem with anything, come chasing me, not them. Sounds like a plan. So for listeners who don't know how awesome you are, tell us your origin story and how you became the the amazing author and individual contributor that you are today. Oh, well, thank you. Um, you know, I actually grew up uh, on a goat farm in rural New England, but I was always interested in computers. <laughs> and I taught myself things that I found interesting and looked for places to apply them. Um, I also tried never to pass up an opportunity to help somebody else out. As I built my career, which was primarily in consulting, most of my job opportunities came by word of mouth from former coworkers or colleagues. I really think there's something to be said for finding things that you have an interest in and developing those skills. Nice. So how, how did your entrance into technology happen? I mean, was it just... I love tinkering with computers, so I want to do that. I mean, what was your what was your aha moment? Do you remember? Well, my my aha moment was actually at a uh, a high school summer program where I discovered this thing called the ARPANET, and uh, awesome. <laughs> it was the technical equivalent of, of ham radio. It's like you mean there are people out there all over the world I can talk to. 
um, how do we make this happen? And what kind of technology supports that? And then when I went to college, I found that I was much more interested in learning how the systems worked than learning theoretical computer science. And I had a chance to do some work for the EECS department, helping maintain some of the mainframes, the TOPS 20s, and also a couple of VAXs running BSD Unix. And uh, I was hooked and I never looked back. Nice. So I, so I went back and I did not realize how much, honestly, like just from my own personal experience, I did not realize how much you've really contributed to IT. Um, and I found your blog and I read through a bunch of that. Um, how did you decide to go into consulting and owning your own company, what, when did you make that decision and say, I need to do, the, to do this myself? Um, I did that pretty much after my first job out of college where I was an employee working for a company. I was working on interesting things, but I discovered that projects that are interesting can also be canceled when they don't align with the company's goals and that a lot of work can go down the drain. One of the things I figured is that by consulting, I would be working on interesting problems. I would be getting more respect for my contributions because in consulting, they hire you because you already know what they need you to do. Uh, So you're not an entry-level person. And uh, finally, I just liked working for myself, being able to work for a while, take some time off, work on other projects, and so on. Nice. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> it's one thing that I personally love about being a consultant because, yes, I work on this one thing. And if you're annoying, you're eventually going to go away. You will leave me. And if I love working with you, I will probably work with you again. So I, that's awesome. So let me ask you this question. You've been at this game a little bit longer than me, but we've both been in it a while. If we were just getting out of college and trying to decide, oh my gosh, like I don't, I don't know what to do, where would you tell those people to focus their skill building? So I would say that find a, a specialty, something that you want to do, whether it's web applications, whether it's operating systems, uh, and so on, and focus on understanding the technical framework that makes up your chosen specialty and how it interoperates with the technology it depends on. If it's web applications, what do they do? How do they interact with the OS and the network? If it's a virtualized OS, uh, how does it interact with the hypervisor and the applications that run on it? You're basically going to be working in a technology ecosystem where your chosen application or area will have dependencies both above and below it. And the sooner you understand those dependencies and get a solid mental model of them, the more effective you will be at doing your job. And you also need to understand that whatever you're doing is part of an ecosystem with its own hierarchies, its own best practices, and weird quirks and edge cases. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, one thing that I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit for. Do you remember 
back in the day, you used to be, you know, a featured speaker at the Lisa conference and you gave a speech on how to troubleshoot a problem. Do you have like a succinct version or somewhere that people can go to look up that, those steps? You know, I still have all of the presentations that I did at Lisa, and maybe it would be a good time to put some of them up on GitHub and so on so people could get to them because right now they're pretty much archived as part of the conference proceedings. Okay. Well, we'll have to throw that in the show notes. But for people who don't know, um, I had a coworker who will be on the podcast in a few weeks, but um, he said... Uh, he said, he, he came to me and said, look, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're going about this problem the wrong way. You're not troubleshooting the right way. I went to this awesome Lisa conference and I know how to troubleshoot and you're doing it wrong. Here's how you do it. And that was one of the ways that I first knew about this method. And I, I just made a huge, I guess I'm fanboying here, Strata, like it's been so helpful to me in my career. So yes, I would love that if we could point people in that direction, because for me, those have been timeless skills. Um, and I, I hope people are being trained that, but I don't know that they are. So let's talk about troubleshooting. What, what are, you know, we had talked before we started rolling, um, and you had said, you, you know, you touched about um, if people were considering going into IT, um, I think you said they don't need to be super amazing with computers. They just have to understand logic. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. And, and by logic, I don't mean lots of diagrams with ands and ors and so on. I taught a class back in the early 90s for women who were interested in getting into programming. And I said that essentially a lot of programming in IT is think about how you get dressed in the morning. You know, do you put on your shoes before you put on your pants? Do you put on your shoes before you put on your socks? You need to have an order that you're doing things that make sense. I said that anyone who's ever planned a uh, family vacation and figured out how to pack the car and what things you need to put in the front and what things you need to put in the back can write a program. Hmm. That's awesome. I like that. I like that word picture. So you have obviously been a champion for, you know, diversity and inclusion in the workspace, specifically in technology. How do you see things changing? Do you, do you feel like they're better? Do you think we, I feel like we still have a ways to go, but do you feel like things are better than when you first started? Um, I definitely think they are better. And I, I think there certainly is a way to go. There is much more of a culture, there's much more of an acknowledgement of some of the culture problems that exist in IT and in programming. Uh, I see, you know, what is to me unprecedented numbers of women getting involved with technology and it's wonderful and yet I hear appalling accounts of things that happen. Uh, when they're trying to just do their jobs and, uh, you know, interact with the world of IT like anyone else would. 
Yeah. Well, and, you know, for me, I will say that, you know, I am seeing more inclusion. You know, I've been doing this 20 years, one more year. My career is old enough to drink. Um, And I will say I really, I enjoy having a woman on my team. And the reason why is women tend to think on a different pattern than men. And I cannot tell you the number of times that I'm like, yes, we'll go this way. And I've had the woman on my team go, "Uh, have you considered X, Y, and Z? Because you're kind of thinking about A, B, and C. You're not thinking about X, Y, and Z. Oh, yes. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So what are some ways that you feel like, and of course this is, you know, me and you talking with, with my listeners here. What are some ways that, men in IT can be more open and accommodating to women in IT? Like, personally, this is something that I I would love to know because I'm sure there are things that I do that are just not as awesome as they could be. Well, I think I, think I need to fall back on a classic quote by Simone de Beauvoir who said, there are two kinds of people there are women and human beings. And when women act like human beings, they're accused of trying to be men. I think what we need to do is to say, how can we treat everybody, uh, women, minorities, uh, people with international backgrounds and so on, um, how can we treat them more like full contributors rather than people who are marginalized and one of the things that can help is realizing that diversity brings diverse backgrounds and diverse opinions that there are usually multiple solutions to a problem but if you're dealing with a essentially a monoculture in IT that doesn't have diversity, you won't explore those other solutions. Hmm. I love that. Yeah, that is good. That is good. Um, And one thing that's, you know, that I have found lacking is, you know, we, uh, you know, this is from a very U S centric perspective. Um, is that I definitely feel that there is a little bit of xenophobia, right? The, the folks that are on my teams, and again, I'm going to throw out the, uh, the strata quote here. This is Preston's opinion. This is not Preston's op- employer's opinion. Um, but I have been members of teams where it's like, oh, well, you know, that guy's from India. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, what? Like, oh, that dude wrote the program. Shut up. Like, he knows what he's talking about. Um, and it's just very I, – I feel the thing that I run into more frequently, and maybe it's just my proximity to um, some of our developers, is I, I feel like I, I don't frequently run into – sexism and maybe that's because i am male um and i'm fully willing to throw that out there but i do feel like i run into xenophobia a little bit more um and so yeah i i i love what you have to say so if people 
um, sort of swinging it back into, you know, skill building and what people are, you know, talking about online. Um, one thing that I hear from a lot of people, and I spent a lot of time in the Reddit IT career questions and CS career questions forums, is people are like, I don't know how, you know, I feel stuck. Do you have any inspiration or advice for people who are just, they feel like, they feel like they've reached the end of what they can do in a current position and how they can maybe get themselves out of that position? Um, I definitely have some opinions on that. I, I do want to make a final point about our previous topic, though. Oh, totally. Which is that there are two things. The first is that there's no such thing as crazy people. People never do anything that's actually insane. They do things that make sense to them. The trick is understanding their viewpoint. So if, if someone is being culturally insensitive and diversity insensitive, uh, it's not you, it's them. And remember that. The other thing that feeds into that is imposter syndrome is rampant in the IT world. How many times have you seen people in systems say, oh, I'm not a real programmer. Sure, I write 200 line aux scripts that use all the register variables, but that's not real programming. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, people are afraid and they, the xenophobia, as you call it, you know, comes out of their fear. What if I'm not as good as I think I am or, or even more, what if people finally find out that I'm just a fraud because I can't remember all the variables and command line options to GNU make? Um, it's, I, I remember the tale of a friend of mine many years ago who was just starting out who got a programming job and he didn't realize that even people have been programming for years still look at computer manuals. This is before they were all online. Um, so he actually had his copy of Kernigan and Ritchie on C and he used to hide it under his shirt and go into the men's room to read it, to look up something. So no one would see him looking up things in the book and think, Oh, he's not a real programmer. Oh, geez. Oh, man. I will say, I will admit, there have been times as a consultant, I've been like, I gotta go to the bathroom, and I'll go hop on my phone in the bathroom to go look something up. Maybe that's a little bit different, because I'm supposed to know somewhat as a consultant, but I, I agree with you. It's, I think, I feel like it's somewhat, I don't know if it's just IT that's like this, but I feel like it should be okay to say, I don't know. Let me research that and I'll get back to you. But exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, I have run into people who definitely have that imposter syndrome. Like, Oh, I'm just, I, I'm thinking of one guy in particular and, you know, like you say, writes these amazingly dynamic scripts and frequently is like, I I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Y yes, you do. Like, no, literally everybody uses this thing that you wrote. You totally know what you're talking about. So, yeah, imposter syndrome, man, that can that can really mess some people up. Yeah. So, if people were mid-career and they were thinking about, you know, spinning into an IT role and they were kind of afraid. I, I think this, you know, kind of talks about imposter syndrome a little bit, but what encouragement or advice would you have for people who are just starting out, but they're not, they're not, you know, 
22 and just out of college where it's, I'm using air quotes, you know, right. those are air quotes. Okay. To ask questions. What would you tell those people? So what I would tell them is that you're starting out with an advantage, not a disadvantage because all the IT in the world isn't worth Jack unless it's applied and you have experience in a field that like 99% of the fields out there uses IT and you understand what constitutes something that's helpful and useful versus something that's not helpful and makes you tear your hair out. And as long as you can learn the technology, as long as you have an open mind and can keep learning, then you will rapidly get into a position where you have both the technical skills and those invaluable experiences that you bring to, you know, the IT field from the profession that you started out in. All righty. I like it. So you are in your purview. You've had a lot of positions where you are overseeing a project from a very high level um, and sort of steering the ship what are some things that you see um, that cause, you know, directors and C-level people to sort of get in their own way? Like what, what does IT leadership sometimes not understand? And what would your, what would your advice for them be? I would say um, write down what you're about to say and then grab for the word just and if you has the word just in it, you're probably creating a problem. Like we'll do X, Y, and Z, and then we just have to do A, B, and C. Um, that essentially a lot of these problems come from not understanding that the scope of things is greater than you think, that uh, things can't be as easily integrated as you might like, uh, that you actually have to do things like come up with requirements, that there are dependencies. Uh, it's essentially an oversimplification that uh, causes people to run into things. They know just enough to be dangerous. Now, there's that word just again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it. I've, I've gonna, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try not saying just if I'm talking to somebody. Um, so you've been at this long enough like me to see things come and go and come back again. What are things as you're looking at IT and technology, you know, from a holistic view, what are things that, like, I guess, verticals or areas where you think they're not going to be relevant anymore, they're going to go away for a while? Well, I wouldn't want to name specific areas. I would just want to say that everything essentially becomes conduit, and it then becomes a downhill race to get the lowest cost conduit. And I don't just mean networking. Um, I mean processors. I mean applications. Nowadays, it used to be that people wrote web applications directly. Now there are all these frameworks that they build them on top of. And those frameworks used to be novel and interesting, and now they're just conduit to the web applications. Hmm. Um, You essentially need to think about 
where a particular area is likely to be in a year or two. Is it going to be something that is a dependency for interesting technologies or is it going to be an interesting technology itself? Now, I don't want to say anything bad about people who love tires and traction and tire technology, but the tires are not the most interesting part of the car. And so mm -hmm. your job is to find out what's going to be tires a year or two years or three years from now and steer away from that. Okay. I like that. So how do you I, – I consider you among the – you know, ultra high performers. How have you maintained your career and sought out mentorship? Like what, what does that process look like for you? So I'm a little shy about asking for mentorship, but the process looks a lot like being a good listener. People that know things are usually eager to teach and to transmit the knowledge, and they want someone who's going to listen to them, not interrupt them constantly, uh, not just get the bones of the idea, but actually dig in deep into the idea. You want to use active listening. You know, I hear you saying that some clients don't bother to send a fin when dropping TCP connections. Is that right? How often do you see that? And things like that. Uh, anybody can be a mentor, even if you just run into them in the hallway at a conference and they teach you one thing you really need to know. So be, be completely open to opportunity. So, okay, keep yourself open. Thinking back about your career, you know, one big thing that I really had a struggle with was, I guess the word is building your brand. Like, how do you, how have you managed to build the Strata brand? Um throughout the years, right? Because you had your own company and, you know, you said a lot of your, a lot of your referrals came from, you know, word of mouth. Um, was that a conscious decision? Was it, I mean, what did that process look like when you first started and then when you realized, oh, this is a thing, this is what I do now? So looking back on it, I can categorizing it, uh, I can categorize it rather as the way you create a brand is you decide what your values are and you make choices that back those values up. So I didn't start out saying, oh, I want to be, for instance, about integrity. But there were times where I made a wrong hiring choice and something didn't get done and I made sure that my company picked up the cost of doing it and made it happen without trouble to the client, something like that. Um, you know, being honest with people, just think about what your core values are that you want your brand to be. Think about your life choices and actually bring those life choices into your career. If people see that you don't talk smack about your coworkers, they're more likely to talk to you about things and talk in front of you. 
um, this good old fashioned uh, being a decent person. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, as you've built your brand, right? You mentioned, you know, making mistakes on hiring people and, and you know, that can that can be pretty devastating when you're, you know, running your own practice and, and owning your own company. What are some of the things when you interview people that candidates will do and it's always been like why do people do this? I know most managers have a, have a couple. I'm curious what, what your things that you don't understand why candidates do, but they constantly do to shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah. So I definitely have, have a list. Um, the first thing, and I know it's, it's kind of stupid and old fashioned and whatever, but it's, it's being late and unprepared. I didn't call. I just showed up five or 10 or 15 minutes late. If they're half an hour late because there was a traffic pile up, that's one thing. But if they can't give themselves an extra 15 minutes to get there, what does that say about their time management skills? If they can't mm-hmm. remember to bring a copy of their resume and so on. Um, you know, it's just, it really sets the tone. Okay. Another thing people do is you want to ask people a series of questions in an interview but some people will get nervous and they'll fixate on one question and they'll just drill down endlessly into it and try and use up all the time for the interview unless you cut them off. They will tell a long, complex story about the question with a lot of background information and backing and filling and so on. You don't have to have an elevator pitch, but you should be able to explain it to someone on the subway if you're only going one stop. Ooh, I like that. You should be able to explain it on a subway if you're only going one stop. Mm. That might be that might be your quote. Every episode gets a quote. I'm I'm thinking about that one. I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll have to get back to you. So the other the other yeah, thing, ahead. which is is huge, is people who won't admit that they don't know. They'll just keep circling around and making something up, and it's really obvious they don't know, uh, whereas some candidates will say, you know, I don't know that, and I probably ought to. I think I'll look it up after this interview, and you're like, yes, you can say I don't know, because in any job, you are going to hit so many things that you don't know, and if you can't recognize that and admit it to people and say, here's where we have to learn together, you're not going to be very effective. So you heard it here first. Hopefully not first. I'm really hoping this isn't the first time you heard it. But if this is the first time you heard it, it is okay to say, I don't know. You just have to follow up. I don't know with, well, I don't know, but here's what I think I would do to solve that problem. Absolutely. So, um, you know, have you ever felt in your career, have you ever had to make a pivot? Have you ever been working with one, you know, technology or product or, you know, sector and had to move to another? You know, I, I definitely have. I've done that two or three times. What was that what was that process like and was it scary did you feel like it needed to happen like what was your mental what what was going on when you had to make that pivot 
So I was doing a lot of security work at one point uh, in the early 90s, and a friend convinced me to go to a little conference called DEF CON. I don't know <laughs> if you've heard of it. I no, think, never yeah. heard of it. <laughs> um, and the things I saw there were so eye-opening that I decided to get out of security because I said to myself, there are only two possibilities here. Either I will suck at this, which would be bad, or more likely I will be good at this, and anyone good at this will become a target. And I don't feel like watching my back constantly. <laughs> I don't want to become a famous security admin person. So I said to myself, what else is interesting right now? And there was the web just starting and there was also uh, scaling messaging and communications so I started learning about the NCSA uh, HTTPD and you know how to use it top to bottom uh, I'm certainly don't know anything near as much about the current web stacks and technologies but you know at the time it was all fairly simple mm -hmm. and I also started specializing in high volume messaging and uh, scaling send mail and scaling various other messaging technologies nice so so you pivoted away from security and you moved into web and email which was probably honestly probably brilliant at the time because that was the dot-com era so you said you did was that the two times or did you ever have to do it again or yeah um at one point i had an opportunity through an employer to take a class in project management and at the time i said to myself boy i have been part of so many screwed up projects that uh, i would like to learn this toolkit so that i can help prevent this from happening i can save myself and others and i found that the combination of project management and leading teams was sufficiently challenging and compelling and gave me the chance to build big things that I transitioned to that. And nowadays, I rarely do anything hands-on in IT. I've been almost exclusively a project manager for the last decade or so. Gotcha. Gotcha. So as we're winding down here, you know, this is the time where I ask all of my, you know, all of my guests, what what are you passionate about? And, you know, this is your moment to tell people like, hey, you should go hiking or hey, you should learn this skill. Like, what would, what would you tell people? Like, what are you like super into and that people need to know about? I would say that everybody should get at least a little bit of a grounding in technology one of the ways to do it that is fun and easy and really accessible nowadays is to get into small-scale programming with the Arduino platform. I've become a real fan of that and uh, work a lot with the Adafruit boards, the Flora and Gemma boards, and also with just the Arduino platform in general. You get to manipulate things in the real world. There are all these sensors and lights and buzzers. You can make a program to automatically monitor how much moisture is in your garden and turn on the faucet to, you know, 
fix that whenever it gets too dry. Mm -hmm. um, you can make interesting things that light up. Uh, and you get a real sense of, in microcosm, what does the engineering look like out there? If you are messing around with, say, the Bluefruit module from Adafruit, which lets you talk Bluetooth low energy to your phone and control the color of LEDs on a project you have, you learn something about applications in the application layer. And instead of things being a giant black box, you have some idea of what makes them up. It's kind of the equivalent of how people used to play with Tinker Toys and Lincoln Logs and then become mechanical and structural engineers. And I think it's, it's something everybody can find some fun in. Well, you heard it here first, and I, I wholeheartedly second that. You know, a personal story about, you know, House of Kilburn is that um, my 11-year-old goes, well, my 11-year-old and my 14-year-old, they both go to a STEM school, and they started messing around with, um, first it was Raspberry Pis, and then it was Arduino. And the funny thing is, my older son is very nerdy, but very into biology. And he sort of was like, eh, whatever. And he, you know, he set the Arduino to the side. And then at the time, my 11-year-old said, hey, dad, what is this thing? What can we do with it? And it has, it has been a journey and it's been pretty cool to be able to see like, oh yeah, you know, if you, if we do that and we get this sensor, you know, we, you know, we can, you put some wheels on it. We can make it go back and forth and like we can put black tape on and, and it'll stop when it sees black. So yeah, I love that suggestion. You know, if you're interested in real things and you like physically touching stuff and seeing your code do stuff. Yeah, I love it. So yeah. Well, anything I, uh, else? Yeah, I actually want to say if you're interested in, in building little robots with wheels and stuff, there's a, a classic uh, out of print but still findable uh, book from an MIT press that I encountered years ago called Vehicles, Experiments in Synthetic Psychology by, I just looked it up, Valentino Breitenberg. He okay. basically talks about how you simulate behaviors with algorithms. So if you had like a small robot that had a photo cell on it and you programmed it so that whenever the photo cell was activated the strongest, the robot moved away from it, you would have a robot that looked like it was quote unquote afraid of the light. Or conversely, if it moved towards the light, it's something that loves the light. And uh, talking about how you could get these complex emergent behaviors from fairly simple hypothetical examples, which are most of them things you could wire up on a little robot and have fun with. All right. I'm going to look that up and we'll put it in the show notes. That sounds, that sounds like a cool read. We will, we will, do you know, is it on Google books? Is it on? Uh, it's still on the MIT press site. Okay. I'm not All sure right. if it's on Google books or not. Well, we will link to it because that sounds awesome. Well, thank you so much for, you know, just talking with me today and sharing your wisdom with my listeners. Um, and just personally, Thank you, because your, you know, how to troubleshoot presentation has lived on. Um, I'm sure you have benefited thousands and thousands of people in technology over the years. So just thanks for meeting with us and thanks for being awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it.
And if you guys want to look Strata up, um, again, she has written two pretty awesome books, um, co-written, co-authored. Uh, the first one is The Practice of System and Network Administration. And the most recent book is The Practice of Cloud System Administration, Designing and Operating Large Distributed Systems. And you can find those. Are the, who, which, uh, which press was the latest one on? Is that Wiley? Is it... Yeah, it's Prentice Hall, which is a, the educational division of Addison Wesley. And I'll just make a brief, very brief plug for the books, which is that when we wrote these books, we did something that was a little unusual at the time, which is we focused on practice and process rather than specific technology. So we don't tell you the commands to use a hypervisor that is now out of date, you know, two years after the book was printed, we tell you the sort of things you look for in a robust hypervisor environment and how you can safeguard against, you know, various accidental things taking your VMs down. So it's it's about principles rather than specific commands. And we'd like to think things are fairly timeless, though we did have to take a bunch of stuff about maintaining modems out of the third edition of the practice of system <laughs> network administration. Yeah, probably probably not relevant anymore. Right. We're, we're sad to let modems go. But, well, thank you so much for meeting with us again. And if you are looking and you need a book to read, I highly recommend these books. They are awesome. So if you've been listening with us today, check the show notes out for all the things we've talked about. And I hope you're having a great day. And we will talk at you soon. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I wanted to circle back around to something. You know, a lot of what I talk about is, hey, if you want to do something, just do it. Like, don't don't be afraid. Don't be freaked out. And so I am excited to tell you something that I'm going to do. I have been debating this a lot. And, you know, if you've been with me since the beginning, you know that my passion is really to help people, right? Like, I love my job, I love technology, and I will probably always continue doing that. But nothing really makes me quite as happy as helping people solve problems, specifically when they're like, God, I don't even know what to do with my tech career. So I wanted to basically make this announcement that if you're looking for a little bit of coaching or a little bit of LinkedIn advice, hit me up, man. Like I, I would love to help you. Now I'm probably not as expensive as you might think. Um, a lot of the LinkedIn people out there are super expensive. So here's what I want you to do. I don't want to turn people away just because of cost, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to my website and I want you to sign up. Um, there's going to be a box on there that says about us and down on the bottom it there's a contact button or if you want to click on the speak pipe thing on the right that says leave a voice memo or find me on linkedin linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash preston kilburn um and let's get together and let's talk because if you've listened to my podcast you know i'm pretty damn good at linkedin and I'm pretty good at the passive recruiting game, 
right? Because you kind of have to game recruiters a little bit. Um, and as much as it's annoying, sometimes you need to go change some words out for some other words on your LinkedIn profile. And for a lot of people, they start doing it and it looks just completely overwhelming. So let me help you with that. So reach out to me if you are interested. I would love to help you. Another thing I wanted to sort of just announce and give you guys just a little a little peek behind the curtains. I am working on a promo deal with um, with a company and I'm pretty excited. I can't reveal the name right now, but one thing that I promised you in episode zero is I won't tell you about anything that I think is crappy and I won't promo anything that I haven't used and that I haven't used for a long time. Now, nah, relatively a long time, but so I have two tools that I'm really excited about, but honestly, um, I, I want to verify a few things first to make sure that nobody's getting ripped off me, the company, or most importantly, you guys. So thanks for sticking around and listening to my outro. Again, if you're interested in a little LinkedIn or career coaching, specifically if you're a tech person and you're looking to improve your passive searchability, hit me up. I would love to help you with that. But if not, hey, keep listening. I've got so many guests in the pipe and I am very excited to share them with you. I hope you have enjoyed listening and I hope you have a great day and I hope you're having a great week. Talk to you guys later.